0: If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me, please, to the 21st chapter, because today we start on the final chapter of the book of John that has had me preaching the longest series of my ministry. I have never preached. I was a lectionary guy where different things are selected week to week like many of the other uh, Protestant denominations because of my Air Force influence. And prior to that, in the civilian church, it was more like what I thought God had laid on me that particular Sunday, and it might change from John to Revelation to Psalm to Proverbs or whatever. And uh, when Pierce came, he challenged me, those of you, so I'm trying to give you a little background. He said, why don't you do a series, you know, preach through a whole book. like, oh, man, you know, like, like the book of Revelation? Half of you go, oh, yeah, no, I don't want that. How about something else I can maybe more, you know, bite off a little bit? Maybe Philippians is a little shorter, a lot about love, you know. And we came back from um, the Right Now Media Conference over two years ago, Dan and I and Pierce, and we had heard so much about being with, and we came back with this whole kind of vision for our church to say we would be with God, we would be with others, and we would be with a mission. And I said, you know what? Here's the time to preach a series because John starts out, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was With. with. So here we are now two years later. And uh, in my final month of serving this great church. So forgive me if I get a little misty-eyed at some point. John, unlike the Synoptic Gospels, provides more resurrection accounts than the others. In fact, the others added up. Um, Luke has the appearance of the, uh, Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Uh, Matthew has the Great Commission after the resurrection, and Mark has a version of that as well, but both of those seem to be short. Matthew is really very short, but you get, you remember the Great Commission, and you don't think much more about how many other times did he appear, but John gives us more. In fact, last week I said that John 20, for most theologians, most biblical commentators, they say it should have ended there. I mean, he concludes it with almost the same line that he's going to conclude chapter 21 with in a couple, three weeks when I get there. Um... But we have Jesus appearing to seven of his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. Imagine the seven disciples' eyes when they open up and can really finally understand that that's Jesus on the beach. The the amazement, the, the, the joy that would be in their hearts. As you turn to John 21, perhaps you're already there. Let me say that despite the theological discussions that uh, I might have alluded to uh, about John 20 being the end, I think it's important to know these things, but I don't want them ever to be uh, a reason you trip up and go, Ah, John 21 is not a part of the Bible. It, yes, it is. There is not a complete manuscript of John that does not include chapter 21. Although there are some theologians who go, Well, you know, John in 21 uses 24 words in the Greek that he never used anywhere else. So what? Talking about fishing, he didn't talk so much about fishing, perhaps, in the earlier verses. But nonetheless, um, you'll see also, too, how the personalities come out, and you know it's the same writer. And how many times have you written a letter and ended it and go, oh, I forgot to say, and I want to say this. And I think that's what this is. He had more to say. So, if you have your Bibles, John 21, verse 1. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, Another way of saying the Sea of Galilee. John likes to call it Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, who we just talked about last week, called Didymus. So he gives both of his names. the twin. Nathaniel from Cana. One of the first times he has to identify him as being from Cana in Galilee. The sons of Zebedee. Who who are they? The sons of thunder, James and John. Isn't it amazing that one of the sons of thunder becomes the son of love, if you will, the beloved? And two other disciples, how would you like to be one of those guys? Oh, yeah, a couple others showed up. John, why didn't you give me all those? But okay, I forget who they were, he would say. I don't know. Verse 3, I am going out to fish. I was talking with some of the folks in my office earlier today. The Greek there, he really says, I'm leaving and there are some theologians who on a wrap. Was, was Peter actually saying, I'm done with this, I'm leaving? No, I think it's like if I told my wife, I'm, I'm leaving to go to the store. I'm leaving, but I'll be back. So he was leaving to go to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. He's always been kind of the ringleader, it seems like, or at least the mouthpiece. So they went out and got into the boat. And as it was customary, they fished at night, usually with torches. But that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them. Now, King James, I think, says children. My NIV says friends. Uh, There's probably some sarcasm in there because he says, friends, haven't you any fish? (laughs) He knows they haven't caught a fish all night. Talk about rubbing it in. The Greek word is actually the word for children, Um, it would be like hey buddies hey lads if you're from England hey friends have you any fish no they answered I mean that's the way I would answer no especially if some jack wagon on the beach is asking me that he said throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some that had to Do a little bit of, you know, one of the synapses up there had to fire. If you know Luke 5, we'll talk about Luke 5 in a little bit. That had to think, hmm, why would we do this? The strangers told us to do this, but okay, throw your nets on the other side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net into the, into, in, excuse me, in. It would help you if you move your little ribbon here. They were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple who Jesus loved, who's that? Who's that? author of this book, John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. I I love how John writing the book always kind of shines the limelight on himself just a little bit. Then the one Jesus loved recognized it was Jesus. And then there's the the crazy guy who jumps out of the boat to go after him. Peter, as soon as he hears that, he says, it's the Lord. He wraps his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. Now, Ruthie, on Thursday, as we were talking about this, having our pre-Sunday, you know, coffee, she said, well, he was naked. You know, what's that line from Caddyshock? Danny told me naked. No, I don't think he was naked. I think he was stripped down to his undergarment. Ladies, strip down to your undergarments. Men, strip down to your undergarment because you're working. And he had his outer garment with him in the boat because I don't know. I wouldn't trust anybody walking by. I might take my coat if I left it out there on the beach. So I took it with me. And while I'm working, I'm stripped down to working material, you know, getting down there nitty gritty. But who knows? Jesus may want me to go with him somewhere. So I'm taking my coat and I am jumping out. And I'm going to race to the shore. I think King James does say naked, and the Greek word is naked, but it's not. I hate to say it but naked it's not quite there you know what I'm saying number eight or verse eight the other disciples followed in the boat towing the net full of fish for they were not far from shore well I think they're a pretty good distance hundred yards how many of you could swim a hundred yards these days <laughs> yeah. only like Spencer when he's trying to walk up that beach it's hard to get running in there in the water when they landed they saw fire on burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them bring some of the fish you have caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore it was full of large fish. How many? 153. Now explain that. Okay, we'll do that a little bit later. But even when so many of the nets but even with so many the net was not torn. As opposed to Luke 5 when the net is torn. It's about to sink the boat. Two boats in Luke 5, it's about to sink the boat, and the nets are tearing. But here the net is not torn. Jesus says to them, come and have breakfast. Now you're speaking my language. Let's eat. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Would you pray with me? Fathers, we look at this familiar text, and most of us want to get right to feed my sheep and do you love me, Peter. But I think that these verses, these 14 verses are so important for us to find this resurrection beach occurrence. Because the resurrection is not only on the beach, but it's here in this church. It's at my job. It's at my home. It's in my car. You have come back from the dead that we might have life everlasting, and we can have a Resurrection Beach experience no matter where we are. If we just spend some time with you. So speak to us in this hour, for I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, there's many similarities with Luke 5. That is the calling of the disciples, where the, the fishermen have been fishing all night. They have come, they're cleaning their nets. If you, have your, you don't have to turn there, but in Luke 5, I'll try to summarize it for you. And jesus starts preaching on the shore and the crowds get so big he asked he actually just gets into one of the boats and it's peter's boat and he you know go out a little further so i can speak to a bigger crowd as i back up from them and after he has finished talking to them he says let down your nets and peter says, man we've been fishing all night we ain't caught a thing you know, just do it so he put, he does and as i said the, they're so so large the nets start to, to tear the two boats start to sink And I love Peter at that point, get away from me. (laughs) I'm a a sinful man. I've been in the presence of the Holy of Holies. I need to get out from here. And that's the beginning of Jesus calling these men who would be fishers of men. And he says, follow me. So is today, then, a repeat message of Luke 5? Why had they gone back to fishing? I think we talked about Thursday. Had they backslidden? You know, that's a Baptist term. They were no longer being out and about doing what they were supposed to do for Jesus. They'd gone back to their old ways. Hmm. Why would Jesus not go to the religious leaders of the day? Why not appear to the high priest and go, look at me. You killed me, but yet here I am. Why wouldn't he go to to Pilate and say, "Then look at me. What you tried to do for bad, God has turned to good. Go back to Rome and tell others about me. I'll just stop by your house with some fish, he says. No, John tells us that Jesus showed up where his disciples were and fed them. So show up is my first simple point. Isn't it amazing how the disciples saw Jesus in a locked room twice, and now they go back to what they know, fishing. Here he shows up. And I would believe he recommissions them as disciples. You know, like you recommission a battleship after it's been overhauled or restored. Because both in Luke 5 and in here, they hadn't caught anything. He shows up, and in both times, they have a bountiful harvest, if you will. And he ends both times with, follow me. You won't see it until we get to that later in this chapter. I think it's about verse 19, he'll say, follow me. But Jesus, once again, shows that if you allow him into your life, to be present. If you'll show up with him, and as he shows up with you, you will be blessed. You know, there's an old saying, and I was, I think we memorize things differently. and A lot of things, we memorize scripture sometimes wrong too. There's an old saying that showing up is what percentage of winning the battle? Half? I was Googling it this week trying to find who said it, And it has gone from 90% of winning the battle is showing up to 50%. And there's all kinds of theories on who said it, and I won't go into that. But I will agree with the adage that showing up to worship is half the battle of seeking and finding the blessing. Showing up. Personal devotion. Spending time reading your Bible... Asking God to speak to your heart, praying to him, mission work, whether it's in Mexico or downtown San Antonio or the other places we support, the Philippines or Canada or wherever else, community outreach. Part of the winning battle is just showing up because when you show up, you'll see how God shows up and abundantly blesses you. I know that coming here today and coming in these future weeks with the Saul's challenge in front of our uh, church will be a challenge for many of you. And just like the preacher's retiring, who are they going to have up there next week? Some will say, I'm just staying home. You know, it's too hard to get across. I don't want to get my... Gladiator. you, know, you got a gladiator, don't you? Still have a gladiator? I don't want to get the gladiator muddy. Like, you can't say that to a gladiator owner. That's all they want to do is get them muddy so they can clean them up again. But some will say that. You know, it's too hard to get there. Now, Cliff's leaving after that. I don't know. You know. Oh, what are they having on Wednesday night? I don't know if I'll come back for that either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But let me tell you, do not stop showing up. Whether I'm here or whoever's filling this pulpit, God will show up. And if you show up, you will be abundantly blessed. My son uh, last week was applying for some different jobs. Uh, Spencer, the youngest son. And uh, he had a call back and Spencer said, I hate to tell you this, but I don't know if I have a lot of experience. You know, you, you can apply for a lot of things online, you know, and you don't really know if you'll even be called back. And they called him back and he, he said, I don't know if I really qualify for it. The guy said, well, ask, answer me this. Will you show up to work? I don't know how long it took him to answer. He said, yeah, yeah, I'll show up. He said, well, will you stay there from the time you're supposed to be there till the time you leave? Yeah, I'll, I'll do that. And I thought about that. Is it that bad that people won't even show up? You're nodding your heads. Is church the same way? Is it that bad that you've accepted the Lord as your Savior and you've joined a congregation but you won't show up? Your bountiful blessings may be a little more scarce when you don't show up where he showed up if you can faithfully show up for a paycheck why can't you show up for daily private prayer your own prayer time get up in the morning go before you go to bed however it is whatever works best I don't know if you're night people or morning people whatever but if you don't show up with him how can you expect to grow with him if you don't read his word listen for his voice if you don't show up you're gonna miss out and you'll miss out on 153 fish anybody heard a great sermon on that well don't raise your hand because i'm gonna i'll tell you my conclusion in just a second um there are the commentators are around the globe on this one why 153 well there is one strong opinion that at the time when the book was written or when John wrote this down, the known species of fish in the world were 153. There were no more than 153 types. I don't really know. I didn't Google that this week. I have no idea how many fish there are in the in the seas and the lakes and the oceans around the world. But implying that the gospel is extended for everyone, it's beyond the Jew to the Gentile to the world. Okay, not a bad, not, not bad. But once again, that's what I call Isa That's how I see it. Versus exegesis, St. Augustine said that there are ten commandments and there are seven churches in Revelation, so you put ten and seven, you get 17. And if you take one plus two plus three plus four plus five plus six plus seven plus seven all the way up to 17, it adds up to 153. So God's talking about the Old Testament and the New Testament. The entire Bible is wrapped up there in 153. I don't buy that either. Here's why I come down on it. John was there. John wrote this. He showed up. And when they said, look how big the the catch is. Let's count them. One, two, three. Here, you take four, Peter. Here, you take three, you know, Nathaniel, whatever. And and next thing you know, there's 153 fish. That's because the man showed up, and he wrote it down for us, that when they showed up, God showed up. Now, some of you might want to argue some other ones. Numbers in the Bible... Become almost like the Da Vinci Code, and I've never seen that movie somewhat with intent, because I, you know I see a lot of movies. I don't really want something leading me down something that I thought would make me question uh, the what was that word? Veracity? Yeah, I think it's a hard word for Cliff to say. I don't know what it was. But here I am on this: <clears throat> if God would send his son to be born in a stable to be raised by human parents, the fully divine, fully man, raised by a carpenter and a virgin that, that did not even know man and had him, would have him do miraculous things for three years, would, would have his son be so faithful that he offered himself up on a cross. He died that he would then come back from the dead. And for 40 days, men and women saw him. He does not have to send me an encrypted code to determine what 153 means because he's already said, I sent my son, believe in him. Show up, and finally, slow up. That's hard to do. I know, even when you get older. You know, I slowed down. No, you don't. My mom's not ninety-one next month. This month, this is February, and she says, "I can't get everything done." I said, "Well, you're working the entire time. you're You're awake. You're doing something. You don't slow down. You just move at a different pace." Back to the boat. Whether it was the morning fog or the distance of 100 yards away, they don't recognize Jesus. I don't know if my eyesight now, at my age, I could really determine everybody 100 yards. I'm trying to think. Marvelously made is 100 yards away probably. Is that close? The school over here? That's about 100 yards. I probably could tell. Yeah, I could probably tell a church member over there, somebody that I recognize, somebody that I know by their you know hair color or their overall size or what they usually wear. But once again, as I said, it gives you insight to these writers, to this writer of John and the relationship that he and Peter had because John says he recognizes him, and he calls out, it's the Lord. And who knows if he called that out before he really recognized him, but Peter didn't care. Once he heard, it's the Lord, he is in the water. He is going to go, and he's going as fast as he can so he can slow down and spend some time with Jesus. I can see the image of Peter swimming as far as he can. If you've done that, and that's what I was trying to say with my son there in the baptism You know, you can swim at certain depths of the water to the point that you finally start walking or trying to run, and running in water is a great aerobic exercise. You don't make a lot of progress. I'm thinking the guys in the boat, even though they're carrying 153 fish, probably were moving about as fast as he was. But there he is, wanting to be with the one that he had denied, wanting to hug him. And I can see him standing with his wet hair, his wet, undergarments, his wet outer garment tied around his waist. And there's Jesus, and, and he wants to grip him. He wants to tell him, I'm sorry. He wants to, to love on him a little bit. And Jesus simply says, got any more fish? But before he can even go get the fish, our attention is called to that charcoal fire. The last charcoal fire, I think is in, I think that's John 18. But it's the fire Peter chooses to warm by himself and deny Jesus so he's gone from a denial fire to a testimony fire and you know how smell does things for you right I I don't imagine in Peter's life from then on anytime he passed a charcoal fire he wouldn't have thought of denial and once again confession I know some of you guys out there have some old girlfriend if you smelled her Chanel number whatever you go, oh, I think of her. And there's some ladies out there. If you smelled Old Spice, and if you're married to guys like me, Ben Gay, high karate, remember that? Brute. You might think of your dad, or you might think of some boy that you dated a long time ago when he put his dad's stuff on. But smell is this, it does something to the nervous system. I was reading some guys' stuff this week. I read some. Did somebody just walk by over there? That's yeah, yeah, what happens. I, these windows are open. Sometimes you think you see somebody over there, a Bigfoot, you know, sliding across. <laughs> Keep you awake. Now you'll all be looking for Bigfoot out there. But smell does something. It kicks in the saliva glands. It kicks in, a, I, I was reading this guy, something with, is the pancreas do something with sugar too? It kicks in another thing, kicks in another one, and then it kicks in like three different things before it ever goes in your mouth. Smelling it and, and I 'm telling you right now, if I talk long enough about oh i don 't know what's the favorite thing you like to eat, huh? Brownies. I thought you said broccoli I 'm like, huh, <laughs> that ain't ever going to make the saliva glands work for me, but you th- brownies, my mom's chocolate chip cookies you, you, you can just feel it ooze in fact, this guy was writing, he said it has been scientifically proven that and I don 't know how you measure smells. You probably know what the refrigeration stuff you do, what you know, the nth degree it can come out to. But just the micro uh, odor of bacon is known to make people start and, You know, They're cooking bacon over there in the kitchen. We're up here going, man, something tastes good. Shouldn't our hearts and our mouths be drooling for Jesus? the smell of his forgiveness, the aroma of his love, the sweetness of him being there, preparing a meal for these guys who needed him. He was already cooking fish and bread, and he's already cooking fish and bread for you here every day. In just a moment, we'll share the communion, and I I think it is too much of a, a jump. This is not a sacramental reenactment, but you got to remember the last time they shared a meal together was the Lord's Supper. When he handed out bread to them, they said, this is my body. And he handed out a cup to them and said, this is my blood. And here he's, he's feeding them. He, he's not reenacting the Lord's Supper, but it does have this memory that it connects them to what had happened. Verse 14, it closes out, and I know I'm, I don't want to get us too long because we, we do want us to have plenty of time to share the communion. The verse 14, it says this is the third time that Jesus basically had appeared uh, with his disciples. Well, if you consider the time with Mary, it's at least four. And with the other accounts, the other scriptures, uh, the other gospel accounts, there are multiple times when Jesus showed up. But sometimes, just like in our lives, he shows up and we don't recognize him. Sometimes he shows up in somebody else's life and you recognize that that person has that joy, that love, that peace, that forgiveness that only he can bring. And I'm challenging you this week to praise God for that. When you see that in somebody's life, tell them that. I see Jesus in you. One or two times in this sanctuary, somebody left. I left and they said, man, whatever you said, I don't know whatever happened, but there was holiness in you. I'm like, it didn't exude from me, it just came through me because he's the Holy One. And I know that, like Saul goes on these mission trips, people see that happening, you bring these pictures back, there's some sweet aroma of heavenly obedience and love that God brings down. So stop talking about your goodness that you have done. You know, Brenda and I, every night as we pray, we'll Thank God for all the things. And we always say, thank you, Lord, because none of it came from us. And it's time that we all stop taking credit for what God has done. Stop feeling alone because there's one who wants to be closer than any friend you might ever have. If you'll only turn to him. You know, there's that whole discussion about the difference in being lonely and alone. Don't choose to be alone choose to be in fellowship with him. All right, one quick, I got to tell this one because it it, it helps with the slow up. Um, Stationed at Kirtland, came a chaplain on active duty, same age as I was, so he he had obviously came in much later. He had been recruited out of college by the Air Force to run marathons for the Air Force. So he ran the Boston Marathon. uh, He ran these ultra-marathon things, like 50 miles, I guess one, I don't know if they run hundred miles. He was a runner. You know, his leg he's a lot much taller than me, but I think his legs started about right here, you know. <laughs> and one day, you know, this is back when the Air Force finally started getting in the running program. I know the Army guys have been running from day one, but you know, we didn't think about. It. We we walked two and a half, a mile and a half, you know, whatever. And Dave says, "Hey, you want to go running with me?" I'm like, "Oh yeah, sure, man." He goes, well, "How fast do you run a mile?" I said, "Eh, I got one speed, usually about ten minutes, you know." For test time, I kick it down to eight. I can run a mile in about eight minutes. He said, okay, we'll, we'll take off, and I'll, I'll see how you run. So we're we'll running along. He said, yeah, you're right. This is about an eight-minute pace for a mile. He said, you want to see what a marathon pace is? Well, I said, what's a marathon pace? He goes, sub-six for sure. So after about 100 yards, I said, hey, 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 can we slow back down to my pace? If you will slow down, look for Jesus. He'll catch your pace, no matter whether you're running the four-minute pace or the ten-minute pace, but if you'll slow down and spend some time with him, you'll find out how blessed you really are. Stand with me, please, we pray. Father, as we have showed up here today, and now we've just slowed down a bit more, we want to shift uh, our thoughts to a time of invitation. Lord, if there's one who's never accepted your son as their Savior, They've been running a race without you, or running a race away from you, or or just running. Lord, I pray that they would slow down, ask your Son to come into their life this day. Help us, Lord, to be open to the Holy Spirit that would move in our midst, that we might respond with faith, with confidence that you are the risen Savior. This is our prayer, for we ask it in Jesus' name.